This really is a desire of mine, and I trust that you will understand the way or what I'm about to say. But it's my desire, as I just prayed, that we would take the sermons and the messages that are preached here and that we would make them personal. That we would ask the question, how do I need this? How does this apply to me? I think sometimes we are guilty, and I know I've said this before, but I think sometimes we are guilty of knowing everybody that the message applies to except ourselves. We want them to get it. We hope they get it. We hope the church receives it. But we don't ever say to ourselves, how do I need this and what do I need from this? And so I don't say that with any kind of an axe to grind or a bone to pick. I just would say, if you're not in the right frame of mind right now, ask the Lord to help you real quick to get into the right frame of mind. How do I need this? How could I use this in my personal life? That in mind, this morning I want you to, I want you to use your imagination with me. I want you to think about something that I would suspect every one of us have witnessed at least once in our lives. I want you to imagine a couple of small children. By small children, I just mean five, six, seven, eight years old, whatever it may be. And I want you to imagine for just a moment they're outside playing and they've managed to find some sticks. And as a result of finding those sticks, they're now engaged in a sword fight. Have you ever watched some kids find some sticks, pick them up, and pretty soon they're, they're sparring with one another, they're doing whatever you do with sticks, they're recreating some great battle scene, and as they're recreating this great battle scene, you see a potential for danger. So what do you say to those kids? You say something like this, hey kids, you need to settle down, here's what's going to happen, one of you is going to get hurt. But because neither one of them have yet been, yet been hurt, what do they continue to do? They continue to fight and they continue to flail. The longer that things go without any kind of pain, the longer that things go without any kind of an injury, what do those kids become? They become more and more bold and they become more and more aggressive in their nature, do they not? until what happens until one of the kids gets hit and it was a little bit harder than what they were expecting it was a little bit more intense than than what they had envisioned that little stick in the hands of their friend could do to them and now all of a sudden the tears are streaming and the tears are flowing and they're crying why because they're in pain it may look something like this. It's the exact same principle, but maybe just from a different angle. Have you ever watched a couple of kids jumping on the bed and they're just having a good time? What do you say to them? You say something like this. Hey, you need to settle down. You're getting out of control. You're going to fall and hurt yourself. And they haven't fallen and hurting themselves yet, so what do they do? They just keep jumping. They just keep bouncing. They just keep having more fun. And the longer it goes, the greater it is until one of them does lose their balance. And then all of a sudden, they've fallen off the side of the bed, and they've hit their head on the dresser drawer or the nightstand. And now all of a sudden, there's some pain. And, and now they're wishing maybe they had listened and had given some attention. And so, again, what do we as the parents do? Many times we say something like this, I tried to tell you. Not trying to be a jerk on this, but I tried to tell you. And again, as they're crying, it's hard for them to really process all of it. But they cannot deny 
I was warned. I was warned. I was told. I wish I'd listened. Now, as you think about that, as you keep that in mind, for those of us who have been here on Sunday nights, for those of us who have been here on Sunday nights, I want us to think about a message that I preached a couple of weeks ago about the testimony of Moses as it related to his faith. You may remember that the message from two weeks ago was this, is that Moses believed that if he disobeyed God, he would be punished just like anyone else. Moses never believed for a moment that he would be the exception to the rule. He believed that if God said to do this and he did not do what God said, Moses was convinced and Moses believed in his heart that he would be punished just like anyone else would be punished. Again, Moses never for a moment believed, well, that may be true of someone else, but it's not true of me. Now, as we keep that in mind, I want us to look this morning at one verse of Scripture. The wording of it is a bit odd, not exactly the way we would express it maybe these days. But by the time we get to the end of the verse, and by the time we get to the end of working through this, it'll be fairly obvious as to what Solomon is communicating. But it's a reminder that every one of us need. If you look there in verse number 11, right after the opening words, you see that Solomon references what he calls an evil work. An evil work. Most of us, again, know this. Most of us are aware of this. But whenever Solomon speaks of a work, he is speaking of an action or a deed. It would be something that someone does by way of an action or a deed. So it is something that someone carries out. And, of course, in verse number 11, as he speaks of this action, as he speaks of this deed, he speaks of it being evil in its nature or evil in its content. And so what does it mean for there to be something by way of action or deed that is evil? Well, it means this, for it to be wicked, for it to be wrong, for it to be harmful, for it to be bad, or something that is unpleasant. So Solomon speaks of a deed or an action that is wrong, that is wicked, that is harmful, that is bad. And yet as he makes this general reference to evil works, it's fairly clear to see that he was not specific then in what he was identifying as an evil work. He just spoke of an evil work or an evil action or deed, something that is wrong. Now, the context, and we'll see this in just a moment, is this. It appears as though Solomon was identifying one who may be guilty of breaking the laws of the land. I'll explain why I say that in just a moment. So here is what may have been in the mind of Solomon. We certainly don't know for sure. But he may have been thinking about the act of murder because certainly murder would be an evil work, would it not? I mean, to take one's life for no justifiable reason, that is a work, that is an action, that is a deed, that is wicked, that is wrong, that is harmful, that is hurtful, etc. But it may not have been murder that he had on his mind. It may have been something like stealing that he had on his mind. We know that that's wrong as well, do we not? 
It's wrong to take something that doesn't belong to you. And so as Solomon was looking at their land, as Solomon was looking at their day and their culture, as he was considering evil works and, and again, actions and deeds that are wrong, he may have had in his mind this idea of stealing or, or, or the thieves. It could be something like this, cheating someone in order to get ahead in life. Because it is certainly wrong, is it not, to cheat people? There are laws on the books that say you can't cheat, you can't manipulate things, you, you can't take advantage of people in this way. So it may have been something like that. It could have been something to this effect. When you misrepresent the facts so as to harm or damage the reputation of another individual. There are laws against that. Why are there laws against such an action? Because it's not right and it is harmful and, and it can injure other people in certain ways. And, and so it could have been that. I mean, we don't know exactly what Solomon was talking about, but we do know this. He was talking about actions and deeds that were wrong, that were wicked, that were evil. And again, the context implies those who have broken the laws of the land. Well, why do I say that? Because if you notice in verse number 11, the first part of it, Solomon said, because sentence against an evil work. Because sentence against an evil work. What does it mean for there to be a sentence against an evil work? All right, It means this, for there to be a decree or a judgment against that evil work. So here is Solomon, and he's talking about this verdict or this decree or this sentence as it relates to a work that is done in an evil or wrongful or hurtful fashion. And he said in verse number 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. What is he suggesting? What is he implying? He's implying this. That sometimes when a person breaks the law, the judgment or the decree or the sentence or the verdict by way of punishment of that breaking of the law, sometimes it's not executed speedily or in a hasty fashion. It's almost like you could say this, there are times where it appears as though the justice system is moving slow and not addressing the crimes of the criminals or the lawbreakers. And so here is what happens as a result of the delayed legal system as a slow response Notice what he said. He said, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Here's what happens. When someone commits an evil work and there is a delay or there is a lag between that work and punishment, Here's what happens. In the heart of that person, they become fully or completely set in them, in that person's heart, to continue or to abide in the evil they've engaged in. Think about the child playing swords with the sticks. 
They've been out there playing for 5, 10, 15 minutes, and the parent sees that and says, hey, you need to be careful. One of you are going to get hurt. But because no one's been hurt yet, what do they continue to do? They continue to swing. They continue to flail. They continue to fight. They continue to recreate. The parent says, stop jumping on the bed. You better be careful. You're getting out of control. But nothing's happened yet, so what happens? In their heart, they just remain to enjoy what they've been doing, and they get a little bit bolder they get a little bit crazier. Well, see, here's what Solomon said as it relates to the criminal, the one who breaks the law. Here's what is true of them, is that when the punishment or the judgment or the decree, the verdict is not given quickly, you know what happens? In their heart, they become fully set to do the very things they ought not be doing. They get bolder, they get more brazen, they get just more obstinate in their attitude. Here's, here's what you've got. Nothing has happened, so therefore nothing will happen. Is that not true in our society today by way of attitude? I think most of us would agree that whenever someone has finally been arrested for theft, it's usually not the first time they've ever committed the crime of stealing. Here's what's happened more times than not. They started with something small. They took it and didn't get caught, and it felt pretty good. So what happens next? Well, you see something else and you want that. So as a result of stealing that, they don't get caught again. And what does it do? It emboldens them to do it again. So here's what happens because no punishment has come for the crime, because no punishment has come for their act of an evil work, here's what they do. They become to get more and more bold in their actions, and it's eventually in the boldness of their actions that they finally get caught. But see, it took a while, and that's why they got to a point where they believed they could not get caught. You think about the person who has cheated. More times than not, they don't get caught the first time they cheated. They experimented with the idea of cheating over here. And we're going to cheat here, and we're going to cheat here, and haven't got caught yet, and nothing's happening, and there's no real judgment, there's no real consequence, there's no real verdict, there's no real decree against what I've done. And so what happens is this, is they get more and more bold in their heart to, to continue to do more and more things. And, and here is what happens. The longer it goes, the more convinced they are in their heart, there will be no punishment or consequence for what they've done. As true as that is, as you read the next couple of verses, here is what Solomon reminds the readers of. We're not going to deal with it this morning, but you can look at it at a later time. But here is what Solomon reminds the readers of. When a person does commit an evil work, and when the sentence against that evil work is slow and it's not executed speedily, when there seems to be no consequence to this and they become to be more set in their ways and they get bolder in their actions, here is what Solomon reminds the readers of. 
you may be getting away with it with the people, but you are not getting away with it with God. You're simply not getting away with it with God. So man may never see it. Man may never realize it. You may never get caught, Solomon says. But as you commit these evil works, as you commit these unlawful deeds, Solomon reminds them again in the next couple of verses, just know that God sees and God knows, and it will not always go unaddressed. God will address it at some point. So here's Solomon, and what is he conveying? He is conveying this principle. He is conveying this truth, this reality, that takes place in the lives and hearts of men and women who would be lawbreakers, that whenever a judgment does not come quickly, whenever a judgment does not come hastily, it just emboldens them to do more of the same, assuming they will never get caught, that there will never be a punishment. So this morning, we sit here and nod our heads, and okay, we're fine with that. But you and I aren't lawbreakers. We're not lawbreakers in the sense that most of you all probably didn't steal anything this week. I would hope. I would trust that none of you this week really cheated anyone and took advantage of someone else in what would be an unlawful manner. I would hope that this week none of you have, you know, tried to blackmail anyone or, or, or tried to inflict, you know, pain upon somebody in a way that would be unlawful. I trust that that would not describe who we are, those types of actions. But this morning I want us to think about the law of God. Because when we think about the law of God, not necessarily the laws of the land... Here is what becomes, oh, I don't know, very clear and very undeniable. That though we may be very good many times at obeying the laws of the land, we don't always excel at obeying the laws of God. Now, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, just ask yourself a, a question like this. Have there ever been times that you took the name of the Lord in vain? In one manner or another? Has there ever been a time that, that you took God's name and you expressed it in such a way that there was not a sense of reverence and respect and a sense of awe for the God that you were speaking of? You know, something like, good Lord. That's really not the way it was described or, or meant to be used, right? I, I mean, it was never really our place to say anything like, oh my, and fill in the blank. Have words like that ever come out of our mouth? Well, for most of us, such expressions have come out of our mouths, have they not? So what does that mean we've done? Well, we've broken at least one law of God because we're not supposed to take the name of the Lord in vain. Somebody says that's Old Testament. I get it, but the same principle would be conveyed in the New Testament. So we're really not going to be able to escape that one. Most of us have done that, which means this. Well, I've broken one of God's laws there. Yeah. 
How many of us have ever been guilty of this, having some other God before Him? It's been there. We, 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 we've done that, have we not? I mean, anything that is before God by way of our personal lives, anything that is before Him is a God, whether we want to identify that as a God or not. And so, I don't know about you, but I'd have to look at this and say there have certainly been times that money has been my God. There have certainly been times that recreation was my God. There have certainly been times that my own will and my own desire was before God. So I can't look at, you know, God being put in the second place and and saying, well, I've never done that one because I know without doubt God has been in second, third, fourth place with me many times. How many of us have ever lied and, you know, been engaged in false witness? Are we getting this? We've been guilty of telling lies. Not just... For our own benefit, but sometimes we've lied to hurt other people. You ever committed murder in your heart? Man, I hate that person. I hate that person. See, Christ said you've committed murder in the heart, which would mean this. Man, if I've ever expressed that, and I know that I have, you know what I've been guilty of? I've been guilty of murder, obviously not with the same consequence in society, but that means I've certainly got some heart problems that are in violation to God's law. You ever committed adultery in your heart? We've done it. It's no fun to admit, is it? But you saw someone and you looked much longer than you should have looked. Entertain thoughts you ought not entertain. What's happened? You ever coveted? Just wanted more? You wanted what somebody else had. and Kind of like what we talked about Wednesday night. We were jealous and we were envious and we just had to have what someone else had. Do you realize how long we could be here talking about all the sins we're guilty of and all the sins we've committed? Whether we'll admit it or not, isn't it amazing how many laws of God's word we have completely violated? Now, as you think about that, give some attention to this truth. We sing about it, we talk about it, but sometimes I don't think we really think about it like we should. But think about for just a moment the amazing grace of God. Because the grace of God is amazing. So because of God's amazing grace... Toward mankind, what is he? Well, many times he's very patient with us. Sometimes he is very long-suffering with us. So that means there are many times that he withholds from us 
the punishment that our sin and our disobedience deserves. There are many, many times, again, I don't know if we're processing this or if we're like, I don't ever do those things. I think if we're honest, though, there are many times that we engage in certain things that if we would just be honest, we know we deserve some kind of a punishment for it. But because of God's amazing grace, he withholds that punishment that we know we deserve. I mean, no honest person can sit here and admit to adultery in their heart and really suggest that they don't deserve some kind of punishment for that. You and I cannot sit here this morning and say, you know, this past week I lied to protect myself. This past week I lied to, to, to kind of make this other person look bad. We cannot admit to such an action and then suggest we don't deserve some kind of punishment for that. We can't sit here today and say, well, you know, I've put God in second or third place. You know, he's been behind money. He's been behind family. He's been behind pleasure. He's been behind my, my, my selfishness. But, you know, I really don't deserve any kind of punishment for that no we know better we deserve punishment for that but because of God's amazing grace he doesn't whack us as soon as we do wrong now think about this for just a moment please if we can try to tie all these thoughts into into one you know and tie it together If you and I are the men and women of faith, we're supposed to be. You know what would happen when we do wrong? We would be quick to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. Because we would know that just like Moses, we will not escape God's punishment if we choose to disobey his word. I know that I deserve punishment for an unhealthy thought process. I know that I deserve punishment because I've had anger in my heart that has produced hatred. I know that I deserve punishment because I have coveted. I know that I deserve punishment because I have taken the Lord's name in vain. But here's what happens. If I will exercise and execute a right kind of faith, here's what I will do. I'll recognize I deserve punishment for that. So God, here's what I want to do. I want to say I'm sorry and ask you to forgive me of my sins. But you know what happens in the lives of so many people? Who because the sentence does not get executed speedily? You know what happens even amongst God's people? They get more fully set in their ways and in their actions. Because now it's kind of like the kid jumping on the bed or playing swords with their friends. Because the punishment hasn't happened, apparently there will be no punishment. So there are people who call themselves Christians, and what do they do? They just continue to take the name of the Lord's, the Lord God in vain. It's no big deal. They don't think about what comes out of their mouth. They just, they talk, they communicate, and whatever crowd they're around, they just say it, and it's no big deal. 
they continue to put God in second place, third place, fourth place, because, hey, it's been working pretty good for us. You understand how this works, right? You know, I mean, God's not really been priority for the last several months, and, and we've not really noticed anything happening in our family. We've not really noticed anything falling apart and causing issues. And, and so what do they do? They just become bolder to continue living in that lifestyle where God is put on a shelf and, and just kind of used at their convenience and at their discretion. And, and let's be honest, sometimes, you know, we, we start thinking in ways that we ought not think, and, and we just continue to do it as often as we want, and we feel as though... So nothing's happened before, so nothing will happen now. Isn't it amazing that because of God's amazing grace and His patience with His people, so many times, rather than that driving us to say, Lord, Thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with me. God, thank you for that. I want to apologize and ask your forgiveness for what I've done wrong. Isn't it amazing that many times whenever he does not punish us like we deserve, rather than it driving us to him, we just continue to get further and further away from him in our pride and in our arrogance, assuming we must be fine, even though we know we're breaking the law. You know what we need to remind ourselves of? We need to remind ourselves of this truth. Just as the lawbreaker gets away with it for a while, God always sees it. You and I need to be reminded of this. We're not doing anything that God's not fully aware of. It may be in the privacy of our own home, but God knows. It may be with just one or two of our friends, the ones that we can really trust, the ones who don't judge and the ones who aren't going to talk. It may just be with a couple of friends, but God knows. Well, it may just be something that we're doing in our minds. We're just enjoying in our minds. We're just having fun with it in our minds. God knows. So here's the thing. There is nothing that we can do that God is not aware of. So when you and I break God's law, though they may not be laws of the land that we are breaking, whenever we break God's laws... Because his punishment is slow sometimes, because the judgment is not speedy toward us sometimes, we still need to be reminded. He saw it. He knows it. And if we don't address it, he will. He will. And here's what happens. When God addresses our sin, we never have to question whether or not He addressed it. He usually knows how to get our attention, 
in a way that we can say something like this, this or we should say something like this. I wish I'd listened the first time. You know, kind of like that kid, I, I wish I'd just listened to that voice of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit said stop, when the Holy Spirit said quit, when the Holy Spirit said, you know this isn't right, I wish I had just listened then, because now the punishment has come and it hurts. This is unpleasant. This is painful. And I don't like this. This morning I'm not trying to scare us. I'm not trying to do anything other than just remind us of this truth. Just because the punishment hasn't happened doesn't mean it isn't coming. That's not a threat. It's not some, again, some scary idea that I'm trying to present to us. I'm just trying to remind us that just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. Because God sees, God knows, and God is fully aware. And so even if it's in the most private corner of your life, I want to ask you this morning, is there something that is gaining more and more ground in your spiritual life? It's exercising more and more control in your personal life because here's what's happening. Be you know, rather than you addressing it with the Lord, you're just getting bolder with that sin. If there's anything that you are engaging in, you know it's wrong, but yet you're feeling the boldness to continue with it, I would encourage you today to say, Lord, I don't want to continue down that road. I want to have the faith of Moses that says, you know what, you're going to punish this sin at some point. And I don't want to act like I'm above it. Is there anything right now that you know you're guilty of, but because of God's grace and his patience, he hasn't lowered the boom yet? If there is, I encourage you, make it right today otherwise at some point you'll be the one who's hurt you'll be the one who's broken and you'll be the one who is shedding the tears wishing you had just listened let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer fathers I come to you this morning I pray that you would help us to be honest God, no one needs this message more than us individually because really the only person that we can speak of and the only one that we can really speak to by way of lifestyle is us. God, we know in our hearts right now, if we will just be honest, we know in our hearts right now if there is something in our lives that we know ought not be there. We know if there are some things in place that should not be where they're at. And Lord, we know what our attitude's been like. 
And so, Lord, if there's anyone who's struggling, if there's anyone who is taking advantage of your grace and your patience, I pray that you'd help us to address it and to take care of it today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Lauren pleased?